Welcome again. It's great uh, to be back. I was in the U.S. a week and a bit ago, um, still adjusting. I had like one of those weeks where I just was in another world. I was just fighting to stay awake all week and then all these hay fever and headaches and things like that. And so it's just been one of those weeks. But by God's grace, glad to be here with all of you. Uh, We're going to continue in our Ephesians series. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in what was called Asia at the time in the province of Turkey, modern day Turkey. A letter that was written and circulated amongst the many churches that were started by Paul and his associates as the gospel went forth powerfully through that area. And the words that were spoken 2,000 years ago, written 2,000 years ago, are here for us today. And so as we read the Bible for ourselves, know this is God's word speaking to us in our very present circumstance. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2. There's Bibles at the back if you need one. I don't know what the page number is, but someone next to you can help you find it. Um, Otherwise, it will be on the screen if you'd like one, uh, if you'd like to read along on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to read through. Therefore... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Would you pray? Almighty God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, I was traveling um, from Sydney to America, and to get to where we needed to go, you have to have a stopover somewhere. Uh, And so this time, Adam and I were flying, and we flew from Sydney to Dallas. But the last time I went for the pastor's conference, um, I was with another guy called Simon. A lot of you know him. And Simon and I flew from Sydney to LA. Uh, I didn't really look when I was booking my flights. I don't like LA airport. If you've ever been there, it's, it's... the pits, basically. It is similar to hell. Um, It's just a lot of people and not a lot of fun. And Simon and I were in LAX, and we had like a six-hour wait over. And so we were there just trying to stay awake because we didn't want to fall asleep yet, and we're wandering around LAX, trying to find something to do, somewhere comfortable to sit. We had nothing. We were cut off from all goodness, it felt like. That's what we felt like. We were just, you know, abandoned um, in LA, waiting and waiting and waiting for our flight. But this time I had a totally different experience because I brought along with me a better person. You see, 
This time, we flew from Sydney to Dallas. And yes, we had a wait over. We had a long time we had to wait. But this time, we weren't wandering aimlessly through LAX, trying to find somewhere to eat and sit and be comfortable. No, instead, this time, I experienced the pleasures and the comfort and the royalty of the American Express Centurion Lounge in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Now, let me tell you, if you've never been in there, it is heaven. Okay, I don't know what you think heaven is, but I found it, and it's, it's a room, well, it's a big room in Dallas-Fort Worth in the international area in Terminal D, above, seated high. It's actually, you have to take a lift to get up there, so it is up like in heaven, and when you get there, only certain people can get in. So there's a dividing wall. Not everyone can get in to, uh, to the Centurion Lounge, only if you have a special card. Not just a normal Amex card. Like, I have a normal pleb Amex card. doesn't get me in. You need an Amex Platinum card. It's the, the card itself is luxurious. The card is stainless steel. And I don't have one of those. I don't have that kind of money. But Adam, um, Adam does. His work has a Platinum card. And so he's an additional card holder. And so because of Adam, he was allowed to bring an additional guest in. And because I was with him... Oh, we were able to sign in. And as we signed in, the guy thought we were brothers. We cleared that up. We're not. Um, I don't know why they thought that, but anyway. And then he was like, so I thought, oh, great. We'll go in. We'll sit at the lounge. We'll have a nice meal, perhaps, and a drink. This would be great. But then he said, oh, would you guys like a massage? A massage? <laughs> yes, of course I want a massage. So we booked ourselves in for a massage. And he said, and would you like a shower? Yes, I would love to have a shower right now. And so, not together, but we had separate showers. And we, off our flight, instead of wandering LAX, we were in having a shower. Then we came out. We walked down into the bar area. Oh, there's a cocktail bar with two professional bartenders who make you whatever drink you like. I'll have this. I'll grab that. Then there's gourmet food prepared by chefs with organic materials and free drinks and refills, whatever you want. Then there's waiters that come around and take your plate and put it in the beard and clean it up for you. And you can go around and have whatever you like, and it's all free. <laughs> and then there's comfortable chairs and relaxed air conditioning and a massage, all to cap it off. A totally different experience, flying with Simon, won't do that again, <laughs> flying with Adam, flying to LAX, being cut off, separated, not having the privileges, now being drawn near into the Amex lounge and all the privileges that go with that. That experience is in some ways reflective of what's going on in this text here. What the Apostle Paul is trying to demonstrate is that all of us who are outside of the Jewish race were once cut off from all the privileges that we could have had. We weren't born into this privileged status position of being an Amex card, you know, platinum member. And so we didn't have the privileges that came with being a Jewish person. The covenants of promise, the, the blessing of God, the land, the, you know, the, the messianic promise. But instead, we were separated. Um, without hope and without God, he says. Uh, and the point of this passage and the point of what Paul's trying to do here is show how there's a great exchange being taken place through the presence of another. So because I was in Adam's presence and I was able to come in with him, I was able to experience a totally different reality. And so what Paul has been doing in this book of Ephesians is he's been trying to highlight to these once Gentile Christians, these people who were not Jewish people that have come to believe in Christ, all the blessings that they've received. 
He goes in chapter 1 and outlines them blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. This is all you've been given, all these gifts. Then he says, he starts praying for them. He's like, I want you to have eyes open so you can understand just how amazing these blessings are. Because you can't really perceive it, they're that good. And then in chapter 2, he goes on to show them the power which God has worked in their life. That he's brought them from spiritual death, as we sung about and spoke about in the singing time, to spiritual life in Christ. Uh, And that they've been raised, and it's all by grace, not by works. They didn't have to earn it. They didn't have to make it happen. They didn't have to get it right every week. They didn't have to go to church every week. They didn't have to get it all themselves together. Instead, it was by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that they are given new life. And then Paul says in chapter 2, verse 11, therefore. So all of that is bringing us to where we're at in our passage today. And basically in this passage, Paul is doing the exact same thing again. He's reminding them of the parallel truths, but from a different camera angle, to show them this one central truth. Uh, So this is kind of the, the outline of the whole passage. This is the one thing that Paul's trying to get done. He wants the Ephesians and us to remember who we once were and what has been done so that we will have a deeper gratitude to God and a deeper love for others. So who we once were, what God has done, so that we have a deeper gratitude to God and a deeper love for others. So there's a lot of things going on in the text, but I'm going to kind of summarize it in three points. Point number one, we were once far off, L-A-X. <laughs> point two, we've now been brought near, verses 13 through 18. And then point three, I'm going to just talk about what does it look like to live in the nearness? What does it look like to be in the Amex lounge, so to speak? So join with me. We're going to go point number one, we were once far off. Let me read to you verse 11 and 12 again. Now, if you're new to church or new to Christianity, a lot of these things might be like totally weird. You come in and we start talking about circumcision and happy Sunday, Uh, welcome. Uh, But they have a deep spiritual significance and they have a deep history. So if you can just kind of, you know, bear with the odd terms and the brutal imagery, um, it'll hopefully make sense the more we get into it. But let's read verse 11 and 12 again. Point one, we were once far off. Paul is giving us a different camera angle now into our sin story. So he's told us in verses 1 through 3 of the chapter that we were dead in sin, following our flesh, following the world, following Satan, by nature objects of wrath. Now he's showing a different angle of the same problem. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, So here, you've got two groups of people. Jewish people are circumcised. That's how they're in the covenant. And anyone else who's not a Jewish person is called a Gentile or an uncircumcised person. And the Jewish people love to make this distinction. They were pretty proud of being Amex card holders. Uh, They like to flash around their Amex card, hopefully not literally, but they flashed around their Amex card holder and they were saying, we're in, you're out. You see it in the language there. They like to call people uncircumcised, Gentiles, dogs, they would often call them. Uh, But Paul is saying, you know, but he's kind of going on, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So Paul's already bringing in this idea that what's going on, the thing that you're boasting in is not really a truly spiritual thing. It's actually a fleshly thing. And so he 
continues in verse 12 to outline the position of those who are uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. To kind of get what the, the gravity of what is going on here, we need to kind of trek back into the Old Testament. You see, God made the world and brought it into existence and created a people for himself in the garden. They rejected him, um, decided that his way wasn't the best way, but the consequences were tragic. Uh, They were cast out of the garden, God's people, and they started to fill the earth like they were called to. But wherever they filled the earth, they filled it with sin and brokenness and tragedy and devastation. Time and time again, generation after generation, they fill the earth and build new cities, but they bring sin with them. But God had a plan um, to save a people, to bring people to himself again, to recreate the garden. And he brings that plan through one man called Abraham. Abraham wasn't a particularly good guy, Um, he wasn't particularly religious, but he was someone that God chose out of, it looks like, for no reason. But God chose Abraham and bestowed upon him an incredible promise. God said to Abraham that I will give you a land, um, the land of Canaan, I will make you a prosperous nation, I'll give you great offspring. Even though Abraham had no children, he was advanced in age and his wife was old, so there was no real natural way this could happen unless God spiritually made something happen. And he promised that through Abraham, he would be a blessing to the whole world. And so God makes his promise to Abraham. He has to wait many years to see some of it come to fruition. And later on, after he'd waited a number of years, God came to Abraham again in Genesis 17 and makes, reinstates the covenant with him. And this is why I have to talk about this because the covenant's in this passage. And he makes a covenant with him and says, I will do all these things, but to show that you are truly my people, what I want you to do is circumcise your firstborn males, uh, actually all the males in your tribe. So Abraham goes out and circumcises. And if you don't know what that is, maybe don't Google it. Just ask someone secretly. Uh, But it's, you know, it's a very physical, painful sign that you are included. But everyone who was circumcised was now included into this new covenant, this special promise. It was like being married to God in a special way. And so God's people grew and grew and grew and expanded throughout the earth. And eventually they took this promised lamb. And what God wanted to do through this people was to make this special people, this blessed people, this Amex card-holding people, a light to the world. That all the nations would be drawn in and be like, I want to be in the lounge. I want to come in. And they were meant to open their doors and say, yes, join in, be circumcised. It's painful, but, you know, (laughs) there is always a fee with a credit card. And, you know, there's a fee that comes in with this one. Join in and you'll be a partnership with us. You'll actually join in the people and you'll experience the blessings and the promise and the privileges of being in God's people. But instead of becoming a people that were looking to bring others in and draw them in to worship and know the one true living God, the people of Israel became like the people around them. And instead of being a light to the world, they became darkened like those around them. They became full of sin. They became um, rebellious treacherous, adulterous people. They broke fellowship and covenant with their God. And instead of drawing people in, they actually drew people away um, and didn't spread the name of God throughout the nations. And God eventually sends um, many Gentile nations in to kick the Israelites out and they lose their privileged position. 
But eventually God brings them back into their land. And when they get back, some of the leaders started to figure out, okay, maybe if we obey God, we will receive the blessings that he's promised us. Um, this group of people that grew up in the time were called Pharisees. Uh, they were one of the four sects that came up in this time between about 400 BC and um, 100 AD. And they grew up and they rose in prominence. And the Pharisees were very um, Pharisaical, so to speak. They were very good at holding to the law. They were very strict in their observance. And they'd like to separate themselves from anyone who was unclean, anyone who didn't have all the right things going for them. And the Pharisees, instead of taking the heart of God's law, which was to draw people into himself, and yes, there's many exclusive factors in God's law. If you read through it in um, Exodus and Deuteronomy, you'll see that Gentiles aren't fully included, but they can be. But instead of the Pharisees being like, let's draw people in to know God and love God, they wanted to make it very clear, you are different. You are on the outside. You are not clean. You are, you know, and, and some of the language is, um, I'll, I'll read to you some of the things they used to say about Gentile people. They, they used to say that Gentiles were only good for fueling the fires of hell. Um, they used to not allow people to help Gentile women give birth because all that would happen, help do would bring another heathen into the world. So the Pharisees hated these Gentiles. They hated people who were not Jewish, and they wanted them never to come near. Um, so much so that when they rebuilt the temple after it was destroyed, they built a wall down the line of the temple called the Wall of Hostility, which we read about in verse 14. And this wall actually separated anyone who wasn't a Jewish person by birth, a circumcised Jew, from coming into the inner area of the temple. There was a physical wall in the temple that separated Jew and non-Jew. And on that, um, on that wall, there were 13 placards that read this inscription. No foreigner may enter within the barricade. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So when Paul starts talking about the the circumcised railing against the uncircumcised, we start to get a picture of what this would have meant in real terms in the church, in the areas, in the first century. For us, no one woke up this morning probably thinking, how is it possible that I've been included in the covenant people of God, me, a Gentile sinner? That probably wasn't big on your thoughts. You're probably like, how am I going to get a coffee and get to church and get in time for the coffee at church before the worship starts? And, oh, no, am I running out of time? Is the coffee bar closed? That's probably more what was on our mind this morning. But for the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people in the first century, this was a massive problem. How could non-Jewish Gentile people be included in the privileged people of God? They didn't have their Amex card. How could they get in to the centurion lounge. And so Paul wants to remind the Gentiles of their past story. And to kind of give us a little insight, when we talk about Gentiles, that's us. Unless someone here has a Jewish background and you're part of the you know, Jewish race, um, that's all of us. This is our story. We can often become so accustomed to, you know, Westerns, West, Western, uh, Western civilization and Christianity going hand in hand, but actually we are late adopters into the covenant people of God. And so all of this section in verse 12 is all about you and I. 
We are the Gentiles in Ephesus. That shouldn't be allowed in the temple presence. We're the ones on the other side of the wall, cut off from the presence of God. So this is why Paul wants to remind them of their story, so that they will have a deeper appreciation and love for God. And it's not often until you realize what you were missing out on until you realize how good it is that you've got. And so I want this to kind of remind us and provoke within us deep appreciation for the amazing work that Christ has done. So here's the five things in verse 12, five things that we didn't have when we were outside of God's people. And this is what Paul wants to remind the Ephesians. It's sort of bad news before the good news comes. So look first, verse 12 Oh, there we go. I'm losing my sight. Remember, so he's used that word twice now. He wants them to call to mind. Remember this, Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta, that you were at that time separated from Christ. The first thing, they were separated from the hope of a Messiah. The Jewish people their whole time had this promise of a serpent crusher coming to kill death, to kill Satan, to kill the effect of sin, and the Messiah was going to come to Israel. And unless the Messiah came and saved all the nations, they were cut off from that promise. They didn't know that there was a true Savior coming. So Gentile people worshipped Mars, they worshipped Jupiter, they worshipped Saturn, they worshipped Caesar, they worshipped gods of rain, sun, moon, stars. They worshipped all these created things in the hope that these gods that they made sacrifices to with money and blood and offerings would deliver them and save them from their plight. Would give them children if they were barren, would give them hope if they had no hope, would give them victory in war if they were going out to war. They were dependent on these false gods. They were separated from the hope of a Messiah, from the hope of one who would come and liberate them and give them in eternal security and peace. And so were we. Without Christ, we were separated from this hope. And secondly, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We weren't in the club. We weren't citizens of the country of Israel and all the benefits that came with that, the land, the blessing. Um, if you read through Deuteronomy, you'll see that if Israel was faithful, they were going to be a prosperous and beautiful nation that was overflowing with grain and wine and milk and honey and gold in every abundance. We were cut off from that. We weren't Amex card holders. We were down, not even with Chick-fil-A. You know, we had nothing. We we're in the terminal and there's no hope. There's nowhere to eat. We're actually starving to death. Thirdly, strangers to the covenants of promise. If you'd never heard of Christ, if you'd never been told the message of Christianity, you would have been like the Gentiles in the days of Ephesians. They never knew all that was promise. They never knew that there was hope for their eternal soul. They never knew that they could face death with certainty. They never knew that God was going to restore the earth and bring a renewed created order back here. They were strangers to the covenant. And to summarize it, there's two last things. They were without hope and without God in the world. They weren't atheists, they weren't without God in that sense. They believed in many false gods, but they were without the true God, the only God. And therefore, they had no 
true hope. Their plight and our plight was eternal damnation. As it says in chapter 2, verse 3, by nature, children of wrath. This is all of our story, my story and your story this morning. If you have not yet believed in Christ, or if you remember back to when you had not believed in Christ, at that point when you were outside of Christ, you are without hope and without God. Paul wants to draw this to mind so that they will have a different reaction. He turns the camera angle and wants to remind them of their past state, that they were once far off, separated, relegated to the outskirts, fumbling in the dark, looking for hope, looking for satisfaction, looking for peace. And he wants them to be reminded of that so that they will have a deeper appreciation and love for God. So easy to take it for granted. But once you start realizing, I was once without hope, that actually enables you to be full of fresh and awakened gratitude. And that leads us to point number two. We have now been brought near. So just like in chapter 2, verse 4, there's this contrast. So this is what you once were. Now something remarkable and new has happened. Look at verse 13. This is the best news in all the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, that's us, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Everything that was going against us, has now been reversed. Because God left his throne in heaven and became a man, Jesus Christ, and was li- lived a perfect and obedient life unto the Father, and because he was killed and crucified on a cross in our place for our sins, we are able to be brought near. And the only way we can be brought near, the text says, is through the blood of Christ. That brings us back to the temple, you know, where the dividing wall of hostility was. And you have the the blood of Christ. So in the temple, there were sacrifices happening day in, day out, year in, year out, to atone for the sins of the people. Because God has determined that sin leads to death. And the only way to get rid of your sin-death problem is the sacrifice of an animal, the blood of an animal. It's a weird kind of thing. You know, it's hard to understand in our modern culture, but it's a substitutionary animal. So you've got to imagine, imagine the sin being placed on the animal, and the animal is killed so that you don't have to die. That's what used to happen in the temple. But now Jesus Christ has come, not as an animal, but as a human, as the divine Son of God. And he is sacrificed, not in the temple, but outside the temple at Golgotha. And when he was sacrificed... His blood was shed, literally, physical blood of Christ was shed so that our blood doesn't need to be shed, so that our death doesn't need to be died. And by that blood and sprinkled that blood on us, so to speak, we can be brought near. If you know the story of the... um, Israelites and the Passover, that's the kind of image it brings up, that that the plague of death was going to come through the whole land of Egypt, Jew or Egyptian. But if you painted the blood of a lamb over your doorpost, God would pass over you and you'd be set free and you'd be actually liberated from slavery and brought into a new promised land. 
That's what Christ has done for us. He paints his blood over our life so the the judgment of God passes over us and we can be brought near into his very presence. With all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our wrong theology, all of our failure to obey, all of our weakness, all of our, you know, mess and muck that we bring, completely and utterly paid for in one decisive act. And anyone who comes to Christ in faith receives that in full and never loses it. The blood covers you and will never be taken away. So you are always able to be in the very nearness and presence of God because Jesus Christ. Because he came and was separated from the Father, we can be drawn in and brought near. So we who were once far off have been brought near. Not by circumcision, not by joining Judaism, not by our race, not by gender, not by getting our own act together, but by the blood of Christ alone. And then Paul goes on to explain how this happens in verse 14 through 18. And I'm just going to make a few points as we go through here. There's a lot of stuff in here, so I'm not going to try and overload us with information this morning. But let's read verses 14 through 16 to see him kind of explain verse 13. And this is all now... This is all what Jesus has done. So all in Ephesians 1 up until this point, it's all God has been the actor. Now in this section, it's all Jesus. Paul changes the camera angle again, and he wants us to focus on what Christ the Son has done for us. So insert yourself into the story here. For he, that is Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." So we see here, Paul is saying that Jesus himself is our peace. He was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a great Christmas. As we lead into Christmas, this is what Jesus came to do. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus himself came to bring peace to his people. And what he does is he he brings this peace by bringing together two diametrically opposed people groups, Jew and Gentile, and doesn't make one join the other. He doesn't make Jews become Gentiles or Gentiles become Jews. Instead, he makes a third race, a new creation, a new people, the people of the blood of the Lamb, Christians, followers of Jesus. And so God actually changes everything by making peace between the two through joining them into a third type of person. You see in the text there, he has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. 
what Christ has done is he's actually begun a new covenant. See, the old covenant was between God and man through Abraham, through the shedding of blood, through circumcision. If you joined into the Abrahamic covenant, you were in. And you had to obey the law, the, the Mosaic law of Moses, to be right with God. But now in Christ, there's a new covenant. And it's not through the shedding of blood of yourself or your sons. And it's not through the obedience of the Mosaic law. It's through putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And by coming through Jesus, basically what happens is he kicks over the dividing wall in the temple. And not only that, he actually knocks down the entire temple. We don't need to go to Jerusalem to have the presence of God anymore. Because when Jesus died, the curtain that separated the holiest place from the rest of the world was torn in two. And so Jesus makes peace with humanity through his blood shed on the cross and brings all of humanity together through himself. Every attempt at racial reconciliation and harmonization across the world will never work ultimately. There's only one possible way of having different races, creeds, cultures, genders, statuses, classes come together. It's through Jesus Christ himself. He is our peace. He brings us together no matter our background, no matter our age, no matter where we were born, no matter what our parents have done or not done. He is our peace and binds us together in perfect unity in little local churches all around the world, throughout all ages. That's been his plan from the beginning. And so we don't need to come in through the, coven uh, through the old covenant, we come in through the new we come in through faith in Jesus Christ by grace alone, being filled with the Spirit of God, as it says in verse 18. And if we have the Spirit, we are unified together. And so Paul is saying to this Ephesian church, don't divide yourselves over Jew and Gentile, over the, the people of God and the, the sort of like half-adopted, fostered-in Gentile people. That's not how the church works. No, we are one new man totally reconciled, totally joined together through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ. We actually enter in into a new covenant, which is why Jewish people themselves had to be baptized to become Christians. They were already circumcised, they were already in the covenant people of God, but to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, they had to be baptized because that was the sign of the new covenant. In baptism, you go under the water to represent you have died to your sins, like Christ died on the cross, and you rise out of the water to symbolize you have resurrected into new life, like Jesus rose from the grave. One new people, one new covenant, through Jesus Christ, with unity and reconciliation. At one time, the nations were alienated from each other. Now they've been brought into reconciliation. And that was what he was trying to get done. The purpose that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's incredible. He's saying here both the Jews and the Gentiles needed reconciliation with God. You see, the Jewish people had become fixated on the external commandments. They'd become fixated on getting it done, doing the right things, getting enough checks in order, tick, 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 tick. That's what they were trying to do to be right with God, but they'd miss the heart of it. And perhaps some of you here today are more like Old Testament Jews in that sense. 
You think you've got to get it done. You've got to get it right. You've got to check all the boxes and have a good string of ticks and then God will accept you. No. Both the Jew and the non-Jew were reconciled only through faith in Jesus Christ. They were both actually far off because they were trusting in themselves. They were trusting in what they'd done rather than wholly in the Son of God. And so the only hope that any one of us, any single eternal soul in this room has this morning is your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and his blood shed for you. And that blood reconciles you with a holy God. Complete reconciliation. I don't know if you've ever experienced that hurt when you've, someone's sinned against you or you've sinned against another and there's a division, a painful, separating division. And sometimes on this earth, those divisions never come down. And you live with that, it, that forever break in what was once a close relationship. And you feel the pain of it. Every birthday, every Christmas, every you know, significant celebration, you look and they're not there, or you want to include them but they're not there, or your kids grow up to not know one side of the family or another. There's a dividing wall of hostility. There doesn't have to be that between you and God. Complete and utter reconciliation. You who are once far off have been brought near, and there's nothing nearer than being united with Christ. And we have all of that by His grace. And so now look at verse 17, and you see Jesus get in on the action. And Jesus, He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. It's unclear exactly what this means, but in some sense, Paul is saying, the only way that any single one of us believes in Christ and has become a Christian and has peace with God is because he came to you and preached peace. He comes. Like it says in Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus' feet are beautiful to us because he has brought us peace with God. Jesus comes after the fear, uh, comes after the far and the near. And he says, come to me. All you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He himself is our peace, and he proclaims peace by saying, come to me. And I will make peace between you and God forever. And I will make peace between you and man in local churches. It's incredible. And finally, in verse 18. For through him, that is through Jesus, and note the Trinitarian language here. For through him, we both, that's Jew and Gentile, as one new person, have access in one spirit to the Father. That's the summary. We all now have perfect access to God. There's no people that have the platinum card and don't. 
Anyone can get a platinum card and get into the Centurion Lounge and have complete access to God because of Jesus Christ. So, point number one, we were once far off, stranded in LAX. (laughs) But now, through Christ, point two, we have been brought near. And why Paul is telling us this is so that we would have a deeper love for God deeper gratitude to God, and a deeper love for one another. He's getting done both the horizontal and the vertical. And that leads us to point three, living out our nearness. So what does it look like to live as those who have been brought near? Well, simply, I want to apply this by looking at those two intended effects of this text. That we would grow in a deeper gratitude and love for God and a deeper love for others. So firstly, to live out our nearness, to truly believe this text, we should have a deeper sense of gratitude to God. We need to not take it for granted, but be in awe. I don't know if you remember that old song, Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They paved paradise and put in a parking lot. Now, she's talking about the environment, but I I just had that song in my head this week because I think one of the key things in my Christian life and perhaps yours is when I lose sight of who I once was and what God has done, I lose sight of the joy of Christianity and then it just becomes a burden. But when you continually remind yourself of what you were missing out on and what you now have, it elevates that sense of gratitude and joy and I cannot believe that this is true and it's Christmas morning all over again every day. But to get there, we actually have to preach this truth to ourselves, which is why Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, remember, remember, maybe you've forgotten, remember this. And so if you're feeling just a bit dry, a bit stagnant in your faith, you're like, ah, yeah, it's good, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. What you need to do is kind of pull out the the platinum card again, and maybe I'll get Adam to get it out later if he's got it with him, and just hold the weight of it, and just remember that if you never had this, this was your story. So just, just close your eyes a moment, actually, and just think about this. This is... If you never put your faith in Christ, or if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, this is your story. I was once separated from Christ. I was once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I was once a stranger to the covenants of promise. I was once without hope. I was once without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, I have been brought near through his blood. If you wake up every morning for the next seven days and preach that truth to yourself, I think you will have a heightened sense of gratitude to God. And it actually puts all of our problems into perspective. So I recommend doing that practice. Preach, it's called preaching the gospel to yourself. Being aware that this is really true. And if it never happened, I'd be totally lost. Another thing you can do is uh, read literature that will help you in this vein. Um, and so I brought along two books today. Um, actually, if you turn around, Rebs is there. She can help me, my, my aide. Um, there's a book 
This one, yeah, and the other one, awesome. So the green one, let's start with the green one. The green one is a, um, a devotional on Christmas. It's called Repeat the Sounding Joy by Christopher Ash, and it takes you one passage a day through December up until Christmas. It's $10 if you want to buy it, um, or $9 actually, and it'll help you to remind yourself every day of the meaning of Christmas and the incredible story that it is. It's so easy to get lost in the busyness of everything goes on in Christmas and, rem- and lose sight of the fact that we were saved. The whole point of Christmas is to worship Jesus. So I've got that there, 20 copies are there, so take one and transfer the money or leave cash in there. The second one, the orange one, is a really old book by the guy who started Sowing Grace, C.J. Mahaney, and it's called The Cross-Centered Life. Um, it's a shorter version of another book, which is called Living the Cross-Centered Life. But it's basically an explanation of how to live in awe of the gospel in your everyday life, to be a gospel-centered Christian. Um, That one's free. So if you want the orange one, you can take it. If you want the green one, it's $10. But nothing is more important in gaining perspective and living our life than understanding the reality of the gospel every day. It shapes our parenting, it shapes our marriages, it shapes our work, it shapes our friendship, it shapes everything. It enables us to enjoy everything afresh. So that we can actually live in the good of the nearness. When you remind yourself of where you once were and now who you are, that you have access to God through the Spirit, that you really are a child of God, completely a child of God, not like a second-rate child of God, but a real child of God, an inheritor of the kingdom, then you live like that reality. You see, when I was in the Amex lounge, I actually felt like a bit of a fraud because it wasn't my card. And even Adam, it wasn't even his original card. He was an additional card holder. And so I kind of was like a little bit nervous. I didn't know what to do. Uh, when I went to the bar, I was like, do I have to pay or not pay? And it looked like everyone was just confidently asking. And, and then, you know, I just sort of like, oh, what's the next thing? And I kind of felt a bit trepidation, a bit anxious. But then I saw other people who just like obviously grown up in the Amex lounge. Maybe they've never left. And they just were all, they were swanning about, relaxed. They were like, oh, I'll have this and I'll do that. And I even saw one kid just skate. He, he had a skateboard. He just skated through the Amex lounge. I'm like, wow, he understands that he's a child of the king. You know, in that sense, he was living in the good of the Amex lounge. And that's how we ought to live as Christians. So aware that we have access to God and we are one with him that we can skate through the lounge and not live on eggshells with God. Yes, we're to fear him. Yes, he's holy and righteous and fearful. But we are drawn near and there's no division whatsoever. And so we ought to live in the spoils of that freedom, audaciously, joyfully enjoying every moment of it. So that's number one. Paul is trying to get done in our hearts a greater love for God. Remembering who we once were and what has been done makes us love God all the more. But secondly, secondly, we are to have a deeper love for others, which is one of the central points of the whole book of Ephesians is to unify the church around Jesus Christ. You see, much in this passage was about breaking down walls of hostility, walls of division, long-established hostility. Jews hated Gentiles, dogs. Gentiles, Romans in particular, thought they were the best people in all the earth, and everyone else was barbarians. So there was animosity between the two groups. Yet Paul is saying that ought not to be in the church. We are one new person. You are not a Jew. You are not a Gentile. You are a Christian. And so as a result, we ought to be completely unified in the body of Christ. 
And so coming to realize that the person sitting next to you has the same direct access to God that you have. The person sitting next to you is a child of the covenant. The person sitting next to you is an eternal soul that was purchased by the blood of the Lamb ought to produce in us a greater love for the person sitting next to you if they are a believer. There ought to be no division by class, by race, by background, by intellect, by coolness. No division whatsoever in this church because we share in the blood of Christ. So a question to ask yourself is, are there any areas in your life, in this church perhaps, where you put up barriers? Your own, you get out your trowel and mortar and make a brick and you slowly start to build your own wall of hostility. Are there certain people that you don't want to interact with? Certain Christians that just get on your nerves? Or broken relationships that you've never reconciled with other Christians? And you're slowly rebuilding the wall that Christ tore down with his very own blood. If that is the case, if there are these, and it might take some reflection, internal biases, internal racism, internal things that you just don't want to connect with other people because, you know, they're, they're a loud person, you're a quiet person. <laughs> they're an extrovert, you're an introvert. I just can't connect with them. If there's any of those barriers, you need to assess that and review the truth of the gospel. Perhaps you need to, Matthew 6 talks about leaving your gift at the altar and being reconciled with your brother before you worship God. Or perhaps someone has sinned against you and you're like, I'm never speaking to them again. And you've got your little wall and they're cut off from you. Perhaps Matthew 18, where you need to go to your brother and rebuke them and say, I, I believe you have sinned against me in this way. And seek reconciliation. So there's unity within the church, never to have a barrier within the church, but never to have a barrier either for those outside the church. It can be easy sometimes for Christians to be like, woo! We love each other, we're in, we're all united, we're doing this thing together. But then subtly to create barriers to those who are outside the church so that they can never come in. We can hold family racial prejudices that we don't even know are there until you start talking to someone from that race and you're like, whoa, does God really want to save those type of people? Or poor people and you're like, oh, I don't really want to spend time with them because they, they just see the world differently to me. Or rich people, oh, I hate those rich people. Or they, you know, they think they own the world. Whatever barriers that can come up in our sinful hearts, what the, the gospel does is it breaks down the walls. And we as Christians, because we have been brought near, ought to be the people that are bringing other people in and saying, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your background, no matter your race, no matter your creed, no matter your culture, no matter your religion, you can come in Repent and believe and join my family. And so as Christians, as a church, as Southern Grace Church of Parramatta, we should have an outward-facing circle, always looking to scoop and draw other people in and say, you have a seat here. You have a place in my home. You have a place at my table. It's challenging, especially in a multicultural area like Parramatta. It will challenge us, but God will use it to do a beautiful thing. We're going to see in the next chapter that one of God's purposes in the world is to gather multi-racial, multi-ethnic communities and have them totally unified in Christ and then to display them to the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Understanding what has been done for us, who we once were and what has been done, ought to produce a deeper love for others. 
we are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul wants to see, and God wants to see in this church, a church without walls. A church where there's no barrier between us and God. No barrier between us and one another. And no barrier between us and the world. Because his son Jesus came and kicked all the barriers down. We were once far off, point one. Point two, we have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. Therefore, we should have an exuberant, joyful, deep sense of gratitude to God. Because if he never came, we would still be far off without hope and without God in the world. And we should have a deep love for others. And to demonstrate that love, what um, we're going to do this morning is we're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, There's no better way to demonstrate that we are one in Christ than to share of a meal which says, Christ died for me and for my friends in this room. And we take the bread and we take the blood. uh, And what it represents is that that moment on Calvary where Jesus died. So I'm going to ask that um, they start handing out the elements of the communion. Um, If you are not yet a Christian... Uh, and you don't yet believe in what Christ has done for you, just let the elements go past you. Don't feel awkward about it. Um, I'm not trying to create a dividing wall of hostility through communion. But there is a sense in which uh, this is for those who truly believe Christ died for me. Um, And if you were to take it and you don't believe that, um, it doesn't really make sense because you're proclaiming something you don't believe. But if you're not yet a believer, I encourage you to take this time to reflect Do I want to be in the Amex Lounge? Do I want to be near to God? Do I want to have all these promises and privileges, this hope of eternal life? Because there's no barrier between you and God, only repenting of your sin and putting your faith in His Son. And if you do that, you are one with Him and one with us. So would you please hand out the elements, take a moment to reflect upon your gratitude to God and your love for others, and then I'll lead us in the... Um, in the communion. So don't eat it or drink it just yet. We'll do it all together. They may not look like much. A little cup of juice and a little square of gluten-free bread. But in here, you know, in these two elements represents the mystery of all the universe. That you and I could be one with God, near to Him forever. Remember, church, that at one time you were separated from Christ having no hope and without God in the world. But Jesus Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh, in his body, the dividing wall of hostility. Take and eat his flesh and know that he's brought us close to him and close to one another. Take and eat. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Drink this wine, which symbolizes his blood shed for your sins. Be blessed by this assurance. He came and preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Incredible. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, would you enlighten the eyes of our heart? to understand this radical truth that we truly were once far off but now have been brought near, that we have total access to you through your Holy Spirit, that right now you are present in this place 
You are present in our lives. And for all of eternity, we will experience your presence in nearness with you, in fellowship with you, eating and drinking and enjoying all of your goodness. Lord, I pray and ask that you would preach this truth to our church's heart, that we would live and feed off it, and that as a result, we would be full of gratitude to you and full of love for one another. May there be, any, may, may there be never a dividing wall of hostility in our church. Would you put to death any seeds of racism, classism, culturism, any arrogance or self-righteousness which cuts us off from one another? And Lord, may we be a humble, grateful, joyful, peaceful church. We thank you for your Son, our Saviour, our cornerstone, the one who binds us together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.